and welcome to the Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club podcast. I'm your host, Jonathan Doe, and for those of you who may not be familiar with who I am, I'm the creator and host of the YouTube channel Cinema's Underbelly. I'm also the founder and president of Putrid Productions and its sub-label Vile Video Productions. I'm a filmmaker, I made the shockumentary trilogy Carving the Cadaver, and I also recently came out with a short film called The Harvesting of Eden, which is going to be featured in Marcus Cook's anthology Symbolicus. I'm also a photographer, and I'm working on a photography series called Shrouded Domains, and I recently released my first photo book within that series called Animalia Mortem. And for those of you who may be more familiar with my work, I think you'll notice that the layout of this podcast is a lot looser than what you see in my typical projects. I typically tend to be much more structured, um, much more formulaic, speak from a script. And not that any of those are bad things. I actually think a lot of those things are my strengths. But I think as an artist, as a content creator, it's important to be constantly uh, pushing your boundaries, pushing beyond what you're comfortable with. And that's kind of the entire theme of this podcast, the Uneasy Train Explorers Club. To explore the various fringes of society, to look into the various subcultures that exist, um, that exists outside of the mainstream public eye. I want to interview crime scene cleaners, sex workers, cryptozoologists, exhibitionists, collectors of uh, oddities and rarities, and this also includes people from the extreme horror underground, because we also are a fringe, a fringe community. And that's where I want this episode to start. I first got the idea for this podcast before I had even conceived of the idea of Cinema's Underbelly. I wanted to start this episode by basically exploring my own roots and what films I was exposed to that were basically the launching point of me moving from just being a typical horror fan to being someone who is an active member within the extreme underground. And the two series of films that I can really pinpoint uh, the birth of all of this is the Italian jungle cannibal genre and the Japanese guinea pig films. And so in 2019, when I heard that Stephen Biro of Unearthed Films was going to be at the Las Vegas Days of the Dead, um, I knew that I had to go there because I wanted to interview him and I wanted to ask him about, about the guinea pig series because he is the man responsible for officially releasing those films in North America. And I knew that if anyone was an expert on, on these films, it would be him. Not only because he was the person responsible for bringing these films to Western shores, but because he was also significantly responsible for keeping the legacy of these films alive. Because in 2014, Stephen Byro released his directorial debut, Bouquet of Guts and Gore, which was the first entry in the American Guinea Pig series, which is a companion series that's directly correlated with the original Japanese films. But when I arrived at Days of the Dead, I was surprised to not only see Stephen Byro, but his longtime friend, Marcus Cook, who not only did the special effects for Bouquet of Guts and Gore, 
but also directed the second entry within the series with Bloodshock. And so not only did I manage to score an interview with Stephen Byro, but I also managed to get an interview with Marcus Cook as well. And though both of these interviews go back to 2019 and are now quite dated, I wanted to share them with you as the first episode of this podcast, not only because they both go into depth about a series that was really formative for me as an extreme horror enthusiast, but because these interviews were the start of my relationships as a content creator within this underground community. The interview you're about to hear with Marcus Cook is literally the first time I ever really talked to the guy, and Marcus and I are now friends, and we create content together. And this was also the convention where I met Sam Hell for the first time um, from a broke house, and now he helps me with projects all the time. And so not only do these interviews provide some great context for a series that I think a lot of us have a great love for, but these interviews also have a personal significance for me as they're kind of like a timestamp of my transition from being just like a typical horror enthusiast to becoming a creative participant in this horror underground. And so I guess without any further ado, here are my 2019 Las Vegas Days of the Dead interviews with Marcus Cook and Stephen Byro as they pertain to the original guinea pig series and the American guinea pig series. All right, we're here for the um, uh, Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club podcast. I'm here with Marcus Cook, the director of um, Fell and 100 Tears and Bloodshock. And he's also uh, the amazing special effects artist for Autopsy Films. Um, thanks for joining us for this podcast. Cool. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Um, so I guess my first question is, what kind of got you into doing special effects work? What kind of films did you see that got you interested in doing that? Um, growing up, my parents actually took me to the drive-in uh, starting as early as the age of three. They took me to see Hell Night. But uh, from that point on, it was like, you know, VHS rentals and like I had carte blanche to rent any horror film. I just loved the effects side of it. Um, so I grew up watching like The Prowler, The Burning, Friday the 13th, uh, you know, all, all the classic slashers. And I think uh, from that point, I, I decided I'm like, I, I, I want to do that for a living because... You know, I, I'd watch these films and my dad would, I would ask my dad, like, how would they do that? And he's like, oh, special effects. And I'm like, you mean you can do that as an occupation? And so make bloody messes and get paid for it. So I was like, yeah, that's what I want to do. And then in regards to your relationship with uh, Stephen Byro and the whole start of the American Guinea Pig films, how did that kind of all happen? Um, well, Steve and I had been friends for quite some time, met him Back in the late 90s, uh, he had a video store that opened up uh, called Mayhem Video or Video Mayhem, um, where you know he rented like you know the most effed up movies, <laughs> and uh, you know so I, I kind of kept in touch with him as I was like you know kind of just growing my own career and like doing stuff, but he had. Uh, Back in the day, you know, as a tape trader, he would trade like the American or, or the guinea, the original guinea pig series, and he kind of got in trouble, as sometimes bootleggers do. Um, and then he decided, you know what, like, you know, 
why don't I seek out and get the rights to the film? And so Steven got in contact with all the original producers and said, look, here, like your film is being bootlegged and I'm not the only one. I want to put it out and I want to pay for it and we'll do everything the legit way. And so, yeah, 15 years ago, Steven got the okay to do the first American release of the American, or the original Japanese guinea pig films. And so he did the DVD box set of that and, uh, over the next course of the next 15 years, he, he spent convincing them like, hey, there's a huge fan base for these films and, and we love these films and we wanna keep going. We don't wanna remake these films, but we wanna keep the uh, guinea pig kind of legacy going forward, just make new films. And so, you know, thus force, uh, you know, American guinea pig films. And so that's where we're at now. So now we're uh, starting on our fifth film soon. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. That's awesome. That's exciting. Um, so the very first American guinea pig film is Bouquet of Guts and Gore, which was directed by Stephen Byro. And it kind of has a connection between um, flower, flesh, and blood. And uh, maybe you can tell us a little bit about that connection. Yeah. Um, like, you know, rebooting the series, like he, he wanted something because we didn't want to remake the old episodes you know we wanted to kind of like make a brand new you know things you know the, the first film kind of centers around films being extreme and off the wall and you know they could go any kind of direction but for the first film out of the gate uh, you know steve felt it was very like more apt to be like okay well let's make a film that's gonna like springboard into it and so let's do something familiar and so he wanted to do bouquet of Guts and Gore, which would be like the equivalent to Flowers of Flesh and Blood, which is probably hands down the most known for the film, mainly because uh, back in like, you know, the 90s, Charlie Sheen had seen that on a VHS bootleg and thought it was like the real deal snuff film and turned it into the FBI. And that's kind of the one notoriety thing that the guinea pig film series has going for it is like that's that's what got it like oh what's this i need to find this so with the with flower and flesh and blood and and kind of how realistic those practical effects are did you have any intimidation in trying to make a film that that tried to be on par or even top oh top yeah that? i was i was uh, scared shitless because th th those are some big shoes to fill like i i had seen Flowers of Flesh and Blood, like in ninth grade, ninth or tenth grade, someone, you know, I'd met other horror filmmakers, but they were more into the tape trade thing, which I hadn't quite yet gotten into. And someone said, oh, here's something you need to see. And gave me this tape, Flowers of Flesh and Blood. And I was like floored because it's like 10th generation. Like I was like, I had not seen anything like that before. And I was like, wow, I need to step up my game if I'm gonna make like a special effects work and stuff. I was like, wow, this is like next level stuff for me. Um, but yeah, like, okay, well, how do you one up that? And at the time in the 80s or late 90s, whenever the, the, the original films were made, like silicone special effects hadn't really come into their own now everything is silicone like foam and latex has kind of gone to the wayside but that was leaps and bound no one had ever really experimented like that and you know leave it to the japanese like oh well we've got this marine grade silicone caulking and like if you can color it it can kind of you know look similar to flesh and now 
that was like the first time like silicone body parts and cutting apart body parts had ever been done like that. And so it was, it's kind of groundbreaking. Um, and I'm like, wow, how am I going to top that? So I don't know if I topped it, but like Steve wrote how he was going to disassemble all these women or, you know, or both women, like how, how they get cut apart. And it was like my job to figure out like, well, how the fuck am I going to do it? Um, and the other tricky thing is like, you know, we had one body for each woman and once it's cut apart, it's cut apart. There's no take two. So everything had to be done in one take. And when you see like that limb come off, that's it. So we, I had to know like in the, the leg where exactly the leg needed to be cut or in the arm where that, because all of every, everything is gimmicked and rigged with tubing and all the interior, you know, meat had to be all sculpted for that one particular section so we could cut apart the body seemingly anywhere but wherever it cut apart you know you'd see what the interior should kind of look like <laughs> so yeah it was it was a challenge and i was scared i'm like <laughs> i don't know if i can do this because you're you know i mean and and fans today like you know the second someone hears remake or everyone shits on it immediately Oh, so I was like, oh, we can't fuck this one up. <laughs> so, but I think, I think we've done good and I think fans have like really responded to it. You know, like, wow, holy cow. I think that that film definitely already has a, a pretty large cult following. It's, it's out of, in my opinion, one of my favorite um, just extreme films out there. The practical effects are amazing and obviously cool. it's the work that you, you've done. Um, what are some of the biggest challenges that you had with that film specifically there's there's the skinning that are in that film there's the removal of the the rib cage and the heart beating there's the eye cutting what what was the most oh, challenging thing for you in that film the eyes the eyes are so difficult and it, it was weird i just saw a review a couple days ago um they had reviewed the film they're talking about oh the effects this and that and they're like oh but, you know, they did this eye gag scene, and we had already seen that with, you know, the Salvador Dali film, Undolachan, or what, yeah, whatever okay, it's I'm called. totally that asshole who can't <laughs> pronounce the film. Uh, but that was, like, my inspiration. Like, literally, that piece of, like, cinematic few seconds of when they're dragging the razor blade across the eye, and it splits open, and this clear fluid comes out. And I'm like, how the fuck can I replicate that? And for some reason, I had it in my head because I saw it in like art school in, you know, ninth or 10th grade. And I always thought it was a goat eye. Like, they, you know, they had a, you know, a woman. And then when it cuts to a close up, I thought it was like a goat's eye. That's what I always thought, too. If you go back and watch it, it's it's a cadaver, a human cadaver. And they slice the eye. And that's what comes out of it is just clear goo. And I'm like, oh my God, I'm like, how do I, how do I replicate this? And so I'm like trying to figure out, like I, I was making all these eyeball tests. Steve and I are sitting in the garage and I'm making all these silicone hollow eyes with different thicknesses of silicone and what could we fill in it? And, and I, I kind of got it as close as I can, but wow, eyeballs are so difficult. <laughs> oh. That's, that was, that scene looks so real. I mean, it's, it causes definitely a very visceral reaction. What could you tell us a little bit about, like, the? I was really interested in, in the, the skinning scenes that happened in that, the, that 
stickiness that you have in there, like that kind of consistency. Oh, ultra slime. <laughs> <laughs> Could you tell us a little bit about how how that process was in making those scenes? Uh, yeah, like, um, you know, the other actress, we had her life cast, and then, you know, on the interior of the skin, because you have to kind of build these bodies inside out, or, or outside in. Mm -hmm. um, you know, so I've got you know the mold, and I do the brush-ups of the skin, and then I try and do like, like almost ye like a yellowish fat layer of like deadened silicone, so it's really soft and gooey. And then we do like a foam core, and I had to, you know, once we got that part, then then I had to unskin the entire body, or at least from her arms to her legs, and then like paint like, uh, you know, the interior like to look like muscle tissue. And then we reseal everything together with like slime on the inside and then just cut it open like we're peeling it apart. Um, yeah, a lot, a lot of layers. <laughs> That's pretty awesome. And so the next film in the American Guinea Pig series is Bloodshock, which you actually directed. Um, how did you and Steven come about doing that? Was the intention originally to be, you be the director? Like what was your, how was the how did that process come to be? Yeah, uh, I mean, Steve obviously didn't want to direct like, you know, every episode he wanted to give, and because like you know, Steve and I had been talking for years, like, oh, let's get a you know the American Guinea Pig series off the ground, and then finally when like we got it together, it's like you know he was going to direct, and I was going to do effects, and then from there I think uh, you know we were going to try and bring in other directors but he's like well the next one and he's like you should direct because he had seen my film fell which is more of like this you know psycho melodrama uh psychological things going on he's like if we can grab everything you did in fell and put that into like a torture film <laughs> <laughs> you know so let's let's see and we bounced ideas off and you know, I had my ideas about I wanted to do, you know, something with the blood, and he came up with things, a little bit of give and take, but then, you know, I'm like, here's the actors I want to do this, Dan Ellis and uh, Lillian, I want them to be our main two actors. Um, yeah, uh, so, yeah, it was, he, he turned it over to me, so, like, I mean, we bounced ideas, but then ultimately I kind of, like, as I was shooting, I would kind of throw some of Steve's ideas out and <laughs> just make it my own. Um, that film is is unique in comparison to uh, Bouquet of Guts and Gore in that the practical effects in that film are a lot more close up, oh. and um, and it's more medically uh, focused. Um, what could you tell us about? First off, just the process of doing that, because it's such a medical film, did you guys have to do some research in terms of like anatomy and things oh, like that? Oh, yeah, uh, definitely lots of medical procedures I was watching on like YouTube, and like I, I was actually shocked at how bloodless a lot of things are. And, and you know, when you're making a horror film, like, yeah, bloods, you gotta have the blood, you gotta have lots of blood. But it was so weird to me and like surreal that like wow like in surgery like I mean you cut your finger you're bleeding you cut your head you're bleeding But then you go into surgery where they're opening you up like it's it's weird to me that there's so little blood and Maybe they just know the right places to cut to to do surgery on stuff But you know, I mean obviously, you know as we're as we're doing this like um the basis of the film isn't trying to kill the two leads, 
but trying to injure them in really awful ways because they want to like capture all the blood. Um, uh, so yeah, it was it was a lot of research, and then uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> As a practical effects artist, was it more challenging that you were doing practical effects where the camera was, um, you were having basically micro shots of different things, especially what I'm thinking about is um, just kind of like the oral stuff that you guys were doing, shooting in someone's mouth seems to be pretty difficult trying to get a camera in there and especially because the camera is so close in, there's oh, um, no room for error. Yeah, no, Steve, Steve writes all these gags and just turns it over and says, like, okay, figure out how to do it. You know, it's like, okay. Uh, like, you know, teeth trauma is definitely, you know, one thing that gets under people's skin. So we're like, okay, we got to do this, and how do we shoot it? And I knew um, when they shot the movie The Dentist, everything was done on large scale, like larger than life-size uh, teeth. But we didn't really have that option. So we're, like, shooting everything you know, real scale, like denture scales. And I, I had to build the whole interior of a head so I could film inside looking out. And, you know, I, I puppeted the tongue with my finger and, you know, <laughs> he's in there poking around. Andy Winton's got like the thing and we've got dentures. And uh, yeah, Cat uh, Bernier, another effects artist who works with me on a lot of stuff, she helped me specifically on the teeth because she's very good with like teeny tiny things. And I have big fat sausage fingers, <laughs> so like getting in there like on the tiny work like is, is difficult for me. But like, yeah, trying to build everything to shoot interior of a head was a whole new challenge. So. And um, you had two two different roles within that that film specifically. You were doing the practical effects, but you were also directing that film. What were some of the challenges that you had having to play both those roles at the same time? Um, I I think if I didn't have the upbringing, like making my own films and doing my own effects early on, maybe that'd be more of a challenge. But I'm kind of so used to dual roles from the get-go it's it's kind of second nature um yeah there's definitely i'm coming to a point to where now i either want to direct or i want to do effects but doing both is it, it's a lot to take on <laughs> yeah definitely yeah. um and then the film's climax um why well, I, I guess i got two questions so was the intention when you started shooting the film for it to originally be in black and white? And did that play a role in terms of how you did your practical effects? Uh, no, actually it was, I mean, all shot in color and we were planning it to be in color. And our very first screening at Slaughter in Syracuse, I played like a 45 minute cut. And that was the first time anyone had seen it all in color. But as I was editing, I was like, this needs to be in black and white and I felt it needed to be black and white and I I asked Steve I was like hey Steve what do you think about it doing it in black and white and he's all like no no <laughs> he, he was dead set against it but after after a couple passes of me tweaking it and playing it I it's it's weird to see it in color now um, but it I, I think it plays best in black and white um, I think later, either this year or next, uh, Steve has plans to put out a, a full color version, which is beautiful. It's a beautifully shot film. The black and white does make everything feel dirtier and grittier and grimier, 
But when you can actually see deeper into the wounds in color, it's way <laughs> different looking. It's beautiful, actually. <laughs> um, same question I asked with um, Bouquet. What was your most challenging effect that you did in, in that film, in Bloodshock? Oh, in Bloodshock. Um, ooh. The, the teeth thing was definitely a challenge, but also... Oh, gosh, they're all okay. Cutting into the arms, uh, like when he's slicing into her arm and peeling the skin back and the leg, peeling the skin back, seeing all the meat and muscle, and then sewing it back up and trying to get that to look as not like rubber latex or not like silicone and just experimenting with the materials to see how far I could push it and kind of change the way it read on film. I think that was the hardest challenge effects-wise. Um, uh, hardest day <laughs> was uh, during filming. The hardest thing about filming was uh, literally towards, af after the first couple days of shooting, I began getting sick. And try, I, and I was thinking I was coming down with like flu-like symptoms, but like, I literally, between takes, I just have to lay down on the floor. And it was hotter than hell like while we were shooting. We shot this in August and it was like 120 degrees indoors. And so everybody's sweating. But meanwhile, everybody's sweating. I'm like coming down with flu-like symptoms, so I'm shivering. I'm cold. And it was, that, I think that probably was the hardest, to try and keep everything together while everyone's in town and try and keep up morale while I, I just felt like ass. <laughs> wow. Um, I've heard uh, stories a little bit about the, the your last day of shooting was kind of the last sequence in the film. Yeah. And that that was kind of like almost an all-night thing that you guys had to do. Yeah. Well, once we got down to, you know, uh, Lillian and um, Dan in the room and the door shut, it was around midnight and I sent everybody else home. Like, Steve, go home and sleep. Everyone else, it was me and Kat. And we're doing all the blood, all the wounds, and it's just me, her, the camera, and Dan and Lillian. And we're like, we're just gonna keep shooting until we're done. And, you know, we'd already done like a 12 hour day. So now we're like, okay, your fl everyone's flights are tomorrow. We just gotta get this done. And we had no running water in the place, so we couldn't shower. And that was kind of, it was frustrating. <laughs> Cause once everyone's covered in blood, all the wounds and prosthetics are peeling off and sliding off. So we're having to shoot things in ways that like, uh, like this wound that was on there is no longer there, so don't show that. Um, yeah, so uh, <laughs> it was hot, it was sticky, we had no showers, and then come around 10 o'clock in the morning, you know, I shuttled them down to the rental car, put plastic down, got them in the rental car, drove them to the house, they got off the plastic, which is sticking to their ass cracks, <laughs> and <laughs> showered them off, and then drove them to the airport and that was that was literally our last day it was wow yeah it was intense <laughs> and then in the uh last american guinea pig film that you were uh in, involved in is um is song of solomon and that film you partnered up with um toe tag pictures yeah jenny cruz yeah for those effects um, what was it like working along with another effects artist in terms of putting that together? 
Uh, it was it was a lot of fun. Like uh, Jeremy and I had been you know fans of each other's work. You know, me obviously liking toe tag stuff growing up, and then him liking my films. So so that was the first time we got to work together. Um, at the time, uh, Steve and I still lived in Tampa. Florida and Jeremy Cruz lived out in LA mm -hmm. as did Jessica Cameron so he handled all of the Jessica Cameron body stuff so he did her life cast he did her limbs that break um, all the guts for the puking and then I focused on all the littler effects I did Steve's uh, slit throat where he pulls his tongue out like the Colombian necktie um, the tongue gag uh, Jim pulling his eyes out. So I, I, I just focused on all the smaller effects. And then Jeremy focused on the big body pieces, the brakes, the, you know, the stunt bed, like, you know, it looked like Swiss cheese with all the comforters off, but like he could get up under there and puppet things. And, but yeah, it was, it was a lot of fun. Jeremy Cruz and I had a lot of fun working on that. That's awesome. What were some of the uh, challenges that you had with working on that, that project? Heat. Again, heat. <laughs> we shoot in the summer every time. Like, it's always miserable <laughs> hot heat. Uh, but we were working in, like, a little shed that actually had AC units. But, like, we were working in the sheds um, that was outside of the rental house. And we were building, you know, all the different prosthetics and pieces. The eye rip. Uh, there's a throat gouge where she's digging in her throat. Um, it was hot. <laughs> that was that was the worst part. It was hot. If it wasn't so hot, it would have been smooth. Yeah. Um, well, um, I know that you're working on a documentary about uh, extreme cinema, and maybe you could tell us a little bit about that, and then some other projects that you're working on. Yeah, the upcoming one. Um, uh, Jesse Seitz and I are, are teaming up, and we're you know both of us come from backgrounds of extreme films, you know, and. We got to talking one day, like, oh, there's, like, you know, documentaries on all these different horror films, but no one has yet really ventured out to cover the extreme side of cine cinema, the most fucked up of the most fucked up, like, you know, the August Undergrounds, the, uh, you know, the Vomit Trilogy, Marion Dora. Uh, there, there's a lot of really messed up cinema that, like, the mainstream people don't really know exists. And so we kind of want to shine a light on it and like, who's behind it? Who are the fans who like these films? And where, where's the history? Like, what was the evolution of how did we get to films? I mean, because there comes to a point, like maybe like, you know, you know as, as like a horror viewer, you're like, well, I've seen everything. What's next? And then you start digging deeper and that's where you start finding like, okay, you know, this film's got some really graphic gore and it's really good. And this film's got this really messed up plot. Like you, you wouldn't see these, you know, Serbian film, like, whoo, that's a rough film. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, but we, yeah, we want to cover that. No, no one's done that yet. So yeah, so that's what, what we're doing with uh, Beyond Horror. Um, and just focusing a light on the most genre-bending, envelope-pushing films that exist. That's awesome. And then my last question for you is, being basically the, the best practical effects artist, one of the best practical effects artists out there in extreme cinema, how has your knowledge of how these, how these practical effects been made impact you like watching these films have you does it does it lessen the impact of a lot of these films 
And oh. has there been anything that you've seen that that you were like, I don't know how they did that? Oh yeah, there's uh, yeah. <laughs> um, doing effects now, I'm very critical when I watch stuff, and I'm just I you know I've got that like oh I know how that's done or oh this looks like that or I can tell what material it is based on the way a material moves. Um, so yeah, I, I kind of feel jaded, and and sometimes I forget to just watch a movie and accept things as they are. Um, but there's still movies out there that I watch in effect, and time and time again, I'm just like, how the fuck did they do that? Naked Blood. There's a scene where a girl like takes a fork and sticks it in her eye and plucks her eye out. That's a brutal scene. <laughs> you know, I have ideas on how it's done, but. I'm looking for seam lines. I'm like, this is flawless. That's, that's such an impactful effect. Like, I'm like, so I, I do like it when I see films that I'm like, oh, how'd they do that? Like, how's that done? That it, you know, something can still like trick me, mm -hmm. you know? Well, I, I feel like Penn and Teller, like, would that show, <laughs> you know, fool us? Like, you know, okay, you know, you've seen everything, you've done everything, but occasionally you're gonna find that one gem that's like, how'd they do that and I, I kind of miss that I, I wish I'd see more of that well is there anything else that you'd like to mention or say or uh, I don't know we'll, we'll see where the next the, the future of you know extreme films go like I mean I, I think as far as extreme films go like you know at one point like necrophilia was a taboo subject but now it's kind of old hat like everyone's done that when you see it you're like eh, no one can top George Jorg Bukhari yeah um, and a Serbian film uh, I hate to say it like I mean that's some taboo subject matter and he's done it I don't think anyone can even come close to like you know you're just gonna be like oh, you know whatever so where extreme films are gonna go from this point is kind of anyone's guess um, I think it's going to be less in the vein of special effects, at least for the time being, but I think uh, extreme films are going to have to really f hit hard in a story aspect is the next kind of uh, evolution. Yeah, what's going to shock people yeah, what's going to shock people. So, well, yeah. I thank you for taking the time to, to talk, and I appreciate talking with you and all the insights that you have. So Cool. Thank you for having me on. Thanks. And here's my interview with Stephen Byro, which was recorded a little bit later that same day. All right. I'm sitting here with Stephen Byro for the Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club interview. Um, Stephen, why don't you give us a little uh, brief introduction of who you are? Uh, I'm a Libra. I'm 49. Going to be 50 soon. I'm a... Uh, the owner of Unearthed Films, uh, I've written several books, uh, Hallucination, Dialogue with the Devil, Satan Reborn, uh, the Dead Baby Joke Book, the Ultimate Dead Baby Joke Book, and uh, uh, the Ultimate Dead Baby Cook Book. Um, uh, I've been running Unearthed Films for close to 20 years now, and uh, you know we specialize in, you know, fucked up horror. Um, can you give us a brief history on kind of your old old days with Video Mayhem, the releasing of the Guinea Pig series, and then the launch of Unearthed Films? Yeah, um, I used to be a bootlegger back in the day when I had a comic book store uh, before, and uh, 
I would sell copies of the guinea pig movies, Aftermath, uh, a lot of movies actually that I did buy the rights to. And uh, I wrote a huge history page on the guinea pig movies and uh, uh, this the rep for uh, the Japanese company contacted me and uh, told me to stop doing that and then offered to sell me the rights to the movies. and. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He wanted a lot of money, and I'm like, oh, well, dude, well, I'd have to start a company and do the authoring and set up a website and do the manufacturing and da 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 I'm like, how about, you know, you give me the movies and we'll split it 50-50 and I'll start a company. No, no, can't do that. He hung up on me and called a month later. Hey, okay, you know, you want to buy them films for cheaper? And I'm like, hey, well, I got to do this, that, set up a company, da 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 How about you give them to me and we'll make a company? No, I can't do that. And then a month later, he calls me again. Okay, so if I give you the movies, we're going to start the company. And I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We'll do this, that's that. And then, boom, Unearthed Films was born. And uh, that was sort of cool, because I love the guinea pig films. And uh, it just worked out, like, perfectly. So, yeah. Um, you are known as basically probably one of the most knowledgeable people uh, when it comes to the guinea pigs films and the, the history behind them. But probably one of the most infamous stories with the guinea pig films has to do with Charlie Sheen and uh, him seeing a scene from Flower of Flesh and Blood at a party. Um, and there's kind of a lot of inconsistencies about the truth behind what exactly happened with that. So I was wondering if you could give us a little bit of details about how the, that, the reality of that story. Basically, Chaz Bowen, uh, he used to be uh, one of the writers for uh, Fangoria and uh, uh, Gore Score and Deep Red magazine. And uh, uh, Chris Gore from um, Film Threat was having uh, a party, and he asked Chaz if he'd make him like a cool videotape of just all fucked up shit. And that's what he did. He took, you know, scenes from Cannibal Holocaust, Aftermath, blah, 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 and made it and threw in some flower, flesh, and blood. And, uh, you know, party went great. Everybody loved it. Bissett loved it. Stephen Bissett was at hand, and, you know, this and that. But Charlie Sheen wasn't at the party. But it was like, uh, say a month later, he was hanging out with Chris Gore, and Chris Gore's like, oh, hey, let's watch this. It's cool. you like it. And, you know, they were all fucked up. And they, and Charlie Sheen saw the parts of Flower, Flesh, and Blood and thought it was a real snuff tape. Because back then, it was, yeah, it was eighth generation bootleg from Chaz. And uh, uh, now Charlie just actually just, uh, you know, asked, Chris Gore if he could take the tape and he never turned it into the FBI he actually turned it over to the MPAA to try to and the MPAA contacted the FBI and they, they looked at it and they're like yeah no this is fake and then that but when that happened it was sort of funny because the FBI did call Chaz Bell and you know they did call Chris Gore and stuff and they sort of just laughed at him and they're like dude no it's a fucking Gore movie and uh uh I talked to Chaz about about it because uh, me and him were both doing bootlegs of things at the same time because it was the '90s. You couldn't find any of that cool stuff, you know, uh, tape trading, this and that, right? Mm -hmm. and, um, he he he's a little bitter about it, you know, because he actually didn't like the guinea pig movies, and uh, he just thought it was gore for gore's sake. But uh, but he said the FBI called him, and he's like, "Yeah, they just called, and they I didn't answer, and they never called back." <laughs> that was it. So, um, so yeah. So that's basically that story. Yeah. Um, 
there's now a lot of shame, at least from what I've read uh, in Japan around the guinea pig films. Um, can you give us some context of what factors led to that kind of shame? Was it the Miyazaki murders? Was it the investigation with Charlie Sheen? Oh, the Charlie Sheen thing didn't, didn't ever hit Japan. They, did, they had no clue. They mm -hmm. didn't care. Uh, and it was the Miyazaki child murderer and rapist. Uh, and the thing is, the stupid thing was, the guy, uh, um, you know, he, he'd rape and murder, you know, four or five-year-old girls. And uh, he never recreated a scene from uh, The Flower of Flesh and Blood, which is what they were trying to say. Uh, actually, he recreated some scenes from uh, some hentai. And uh, the thing is, the, the Japanese news jumped on the guinea pig thing. And for some odd reason, it had nothing to do with the guinea pig movies, or he was a horror collector. It's just tons of people, you know, collected whatever. And uh, uh, that happened, and, you know, and that's when they started do making the guinea pigs more funnier. Because it's just the first, uh, it was Devil's Experiment and Flower, which just has a snuff vibe. And then it's Mermaid in a Manhole. And the thing is, everybody thinks that the guinea pig movies are just like pure snuff, torture, gore, blah, blah, blah. But no, it's most of them are like funny. I mean, Android Notre Dame is sci-fi, you know. I mean, midget scientist running around, <laughs> you know. Uh, he never dies. is goofy and, you know, not, not that gory, you know. But at the time, you know. Uh, and, uh, yeah, Devil Doctor Woman is, I mean, it's a Japanese transsexual, like doing a game show type of thing. Yeah, yeah that's, you know, yeah. And it, that's just goofy as all hell, and the gore is, like, jokey and, you know. So, and that's the thing, the guinea pigs were still being made while the Miyazaki thing was, you know, happening. Uh, so, yeah, and then, you know, it just went out of my print, so to say, you know. And uh, what really basically happened after that was uh, the people in Devil's Doctor Woman, because there's a lot of them. There's like about 50, 60 different actors in it. A lot of them actually became famous. And because of the Miyazaki thing and because they blamed the guinea pig movies on that when it really did, had nothing to do with it, it brought the, the celebrities now sort of a little bit of shame, you know. And uh, that's one of the reasons why it's not being released again because they're like big time Hollywood actors and they have money. And they want to put that behind them? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, many people may be unaware that there's actually a seventh unofficial entry in the guinea pig series called Lucky Sky Diamond. What do you know about this film? Was it originally intended to be part of the films before production and before the series ended? Or was it something that was unofficially added after the series was finished? It was never unofficially added. It was never added. It was never supposed to be a part of the guinea pig uh, series. That's the thing. Uh, back then in the 80s, there was uh, quite a number of horror movies that were made that were pretty outrageous gore-wise. But their running time was 45, 50 minutes, which is usually you know what the running time is for the guinea pigs. But there's a bunch of other titles. Uh, biotherapy... Uh, uh, there's a, uh, there's a number of titles, but Lucky Sky Diamond was one of those just normal horror movies that us stupid Americans thought was part of the guinea pig just because it had around the same running time and it was pretty outrageous. But nobody thought biotherapy was uh, an unofficial guinea pig, you know. But it was the same thing, same running time, this and that. And uh, I tried to pick up the rights to add it to the guinea pig box set because that would have been awesome. 
you know, and we could tell people, hey, you know, like you got dying, da da da. It was never official. It's 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 not definitely not you know unofficial, but hey, here here it is, you know. Uh, but there's uh, rights problems with it. Uh, so and that's why uh, it's not you haven't seen a version come out yet with it. Is it likely never going to make it over the nope. over to the U.S.? Nope, no, nope. it's it's not even available in uh, Japan now. Wow. You know? Um, in 2014, you launched the first segment of the American Guinea Pig series, which has a connection with Flower, Flesh, and Blood. Um, what can you tell us about um, that, that first film, Bouquet of Guts and Gore, and, and how you tied it together with the original Guinea Pig series? Well, when you watch Flower, Flesh, and Blood at the beginning of the movie, uh, there's a nice, like, not a Star Wars crawl, but it's, it's basically the director saying, hey... I received a Super 8 millimeter film in the mail, a bunch of pictures, some letters. They're really fucked up, and you know, I watched it, and it was a snuff film. And he's like, I turned it over to the Japanese police, you know, as any good citizen should. And Flower, Flesh, and Blood is what he claims is the reenaction, his reenaction for Japanese sensibilities of the Super 8 millimeter film. And basically, that's what Bouquet got Gores. It's the prequel to Flower, Flesh, and Blood because the movie states states that he wa- got, got a snuff film in the mail, he watched it, turned it over to cops, and this is his recreation. Bouquet is the film that he was supposed to watch. And then he, you know, made it Flower, Flesh, and Blood based off of Bouquet. Is it? <laughs> I know. Um, with such a large cult following with the original guinea pig series did you have any hesitations or fears when you started the american guinea pig series and how it was going to be received by the horror community no hesitation whatsoever i i I mean i had plenty of my friends like dude you're fucking crazy you're gonna remake the guinea pigs and uh you've never made a movie before and that's you're you're doing a prequel to flower flesh and blood one of the all-time you know great gore movies that was you know and that's your first film. They're like, you got balls. So I'm like, well, no, fuck it, we're doing it. You know, I never had any hesitation. Uh, and whenever somebody brought it up, aren't you nervous? And I was like, no. But, you know, when we announced it, yeah, the, the fans just, oh, what the fuck, you do? You, damn remakes, everybody's doing remakes and this and that and then blah, blah, blah. But then as we moved ahead and we started announcing, you know, Marcus Cook doing effects, Van Beber doing camera. You know, because it's Super 8 millimeter, and uh, me, you know, saying I'm going to direct it, right? Blah blah blah. Uh, Scott Gabby from Ultraviolence in it. You know, then then people start like, and they're like, okay, wait a minute, this might not be as bad as we thought. So yeah, so luckily, you know, did it correctly. Awesome. Um, so after you finished the release of Bouquet of Guts and Gore, your second installment within the American Guinea Pig series, you went in kind of a different direction with Bloodshock. But with but the similarities in it is that both films I felt played a lot of homage to the original series, and I noticed that with um, with Bloodshock, even though it's very unique on it in its own, um, I saw similarities between it and Devil's Experiment, and even even a little bit with Lucky Sky Diamond. Um, did you have influence from those films in terms of of your work with Bloodshock? What was the direction that you were going in with Bloodshock? That was exactly it. It was uh, part Devil's Experiment and part Lucky Sky Diamond. And I figured the the real fans 
who've you know been do- in the, into the horror genre forever because you know like guinea pigs was never really officially available you had to do tape trading in the boots and whatnot so i wanted to do you know a devil's experiment type thing and um uh, Marcus Cook, you know, he's a talented film director as well as a you know special effects guru, and uh, he was totally up to uh, direct it, and uh, he loved my story, and uh, so it's got a mixture of you know uh, you know the chemicals in the blood you can get high off of, and and Lucky Sky Diamond, uh, it was oh, adrenochrome, which is a gland in the brain that you know uh, if you take or dry or smoke or whatever chew on it or whatever yeah yeah you're you're tripping balls so i wanted to have that aspect in it because i figured some people would notice it and just like you said you did so thank you (laughs) (laughs) so so that's sort of cool so that's like you know so it all works out well awesome um so while you began working on the next installment in the American Guinea Pig series with Song of Solomon, um, from from everything that I've read, you you accidentally came across um, a film called Sacrifice and thought it would be a really good addition to the to the series. Um, what can you tell us about kind of finding that film and and how you its relationship with the series? Well, it's funny because uh, I was just started uh, putting together the Song of Solomon. And uh, somebody hit me up. They're like, hey, there's this Italian dude who made a movie. And it, it's called Like a Guinea Pig, you know, Sacrifice. And I'm like, what, motherfucker? You can't be doing that shit, you know? <laughs> this is, hey, what the hell? So I contacted him. And uh, uh, I'm like, hey, dude, uh, what the fuck are you doing? Oh, you cannot tell me what to do. I, you know, it says it's like a guinea pig. It's like, you know, and I'm like, hey. No, take it off. And at the time, he was sort of like belligerent, like, oh, you can't tell me what to do. But then the other people in Italy are like, no, 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 that's like Byro. That's don't, you know, he advertises for us and he does this and that. And he's like, oh, okay. So he just changed it to uh, uh, Sacrifice. And then when he was done with it, he sent it to me. And uh, holy shit, it's just like, it's a more vicious version of He Never Dies. Yeah, and I definitely saw the connections between those two. Yeah, yeah, and it was directed by uh, Poison Rouge. It was her first movie, and uh, Demiziano Cristoforo, he uh, he produced it, you know, uh, camera guy, this and that. So, but it was awesome. I mean, the thing is, the, the, the thing is that got me, though, that I had a hard time with, with Sacrifice, was originally, I'm like, okay, the guinea pig movies, there is no pubic hair you know little tiny bit of boobs here there nothing but i didn't want the guinea pigs to have any vomit pee poo ejaculate you know rape none of that and uh yeah poison rouge um yeah a whole lot of dick mutilation in and i'm like "Ah, i didn't want dick mutilation in it but this is really fucking good and uh, i'm like so uh, I worked out a deal and I bought the worldwide rights for the movie, you know, for it to add to the guinea pigs, the new American guinea pig series. Awesome. Um, <coughs> then the final entry as of right now is Song of Solomon. And uh, that was intended, uh, you had posted about being kind of like the end cap for the series. Um, originally, but, yeah. Originally, yeah. And, um, and, but this was your 
your baby, you'd been working on it for a while and you put a, lo a lot of work into that film. Could you tell um, us a little bit about that for those who may not be familiar with that film? Well, it, 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 some people know that, you know, I'm a Christian and, you know, I'm heavily into theology. And uh, I, I came across that uh, so many people really don't know what a real exorcism, what happens and what's at stake. And uh, uh, I want to do something different. And uh, it's like, OK, f fuck it. Let's uh, let's make an outrageous exorcism movie. And, you know, and originally it was supposed to be the last in the series. Mm -hmm. But uh Removing, I had I had the budget, you know, and it's like, and I didn't have anybody. I had I was trying to work with uh, Philip Eludi, uh, who did uh, the movie Visceral uh, Between the Ropes of Madness, and uh, Chili. And you know, we, script was down, down. It was good. Me and him were going back and forth on it. It was awesome. Uh, we had a producer he who worked on Visceral as well, and they were like, "Okay, Steve, well, when you come to Chili to help produce this, we're, you're going to have to hide in the closet." Uh, you, you can't go to a hotel room because you're going to get kidnapped and ransomed and black, you know. And I'm like, what? He's like, yeah, no, no, you'll you'll sleep in the director's closet. And I'm like, what? You know. And needless to say, uh, the producer over there, he ended up getting hired at a TV channel to do uh, documentaries on flamenco dancing and shit <laughs> like that. So, uh, so that fell through. And uh, some other, t I was in talks with another filmmaker and that fell through because, you, you know, you got to have schedules and everybody's got to be able to do it. So, so that's why we ended up just going with Song of Solomon because I had everything almost ready to go. Yeah. Awesome. Um, and so in regards to the series and, and what's coming in the future, um, can we expect another guinea pig film or um, what's, what's the plan for that project? Yeah, yeah, we're we're I'm working on behind the scenes. I mean, I was I was talking to uh, Karandu Mitsutaki uh, to do one, and uh, good guy, you know, and uh, he's made some cool movies and stuff, and he he loves the guinea pigs and this and that. And, uh, we went over uh, the treatment for it. I can't tell you what it is because you know it's not you know, uh, but needless to say, he wanted way too high of a budget, and uh, you know. And uh, yeah, yeah. So so that didn't happen. Uh, but I'm working with another uh, special effects artist who I'm probably going to let direct uh, the next one. But then I'm talking to a couple other people uh, and trying to get uh, you know more more balls rolling <laughs> uh, because if we the, the original idea was to get eight because the original had six and the thing is we're not I I'm, I'd love to do one comedy gory outrageous type of thing but you know being able to do it you know gotta do it you know uh, and I don't know how it would go but who knows people may love it people you know uh, so yeah so there's uh, the, in the works uh, probably two more right now but you know who knows if it's gonna happen because like I said schedules and this and whatnot so yeah that's awesome um and last, with Unearthed Films and just kind of the rep reputation that uh, you have with releasing uh, extreme, extreme cinema um, and, and your soon-to-be-out um, first film in the um, Too Extreme for Mainstream series, um, what are just some upcoming projects and things we can look forward to from Unearthed? Uh, well, we're, we're pushing uh, with the classics right now because everybody's going nuts over watching all the old stuff from the 80s. Um, I like to pretend that it has something to do with no CGI and all practical effects. 
but I don't know. I don't know what's going on. Uh, uh, but uh, we're working on a uh, lot of new new stuff. Uh, some of it I'm waiting on contracts, so I can't tell you those. Mm-hmm. I don't want to get outbid by another company because I don't know when this uh, po- podcast is going to land. Um, but uh, we're we're digging deeper into the Japanese uh, film industry and finding out what you know what hasn't been out. I mean, I'd love to put out Visitor Q. You know? Oh, that'd be awesome. Yeah, I see. Uh, yeah. <laughs> so, and. Uh, we're always dabbling and trying to work on uh, bigger films, you know, with bigger budgets, with different this and that. And uh, uh, we had like a sequel or two for some things in the works, but you know, who the heck knows? You know, it's it's hard when you deal with rich people because they're rich and they're finicky, and you know, they'll, they'll they'll be all for it in one minute, and then the next minute they're chasing a butterfly around, you know, <laughs> you know, um, in their BMW they're doing something, but. Uh, we have, uh, like, Dark Side of the Moon is coming up uh, January 25th. We got the Grand Tour, which is, uh, oh, uh, who's that guy from Dumb and Dumber? Jeff I don't know. Daniels. Jeff Daniels. Mm-hmm. It's a sci-fi thing, you know, but big, you know, great movie. Uh, we have, uh, oh, shit. We got Deep Web XXX, which is just like Torment, which you brought up, which is too extreme for mainstream. And uh, those titles are... There's some shit in there that could actually land us in trouble with normal distribution because uh, uh, every state in the U.S. Uh, has uh, different obscenity laws. So there's a bunch of states that would definitely be <laughs> hitting the obscenity law thing. And uh, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, we're working on the extended cut of a Serbian film, I'm trying to get the documentary going, but uh, it's being edited in Serbia, but it's going slow, you know. Uh, we have uh, gutter balls, uh, all the plot diggers films, uh, so we're working on those. Um, and yeah, there's 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 a lot of stuff. I know there's a lot of uh, excitement for your release of um, a Serbian film in the documentary. Is there a date that we could expect for it to come out, or a period of time? No date. All right. No date. Because yeah, the thing is, when we're done on our side, you know the the. Blu-ray, the DVD, all has to be authored. All the artwork has to be finalized, and then that's when we put it into the system for distribution. And it takes it's six months before the release date. Damn. So we're getting yeah. So we're getting close. It'll probably be done in about two, three months, you know. And then uh, yeah, and then we put it in the system. So it's probably nine, ten months, which sort of sucks. But we're actually in the middle of suing the U.S. company that actually put it out due to non-payment. And that takes a while too, you know, because it's through legal court cases and whatever. Yeah, know. so there's a lot of processes to go yeah, through. Yeah, 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 yeah. So, yeah, so, but yeah, we're up to a lot and all of it no good. <laughs> well, I appreciate uh, you giving me the time to talk to you, and uh, if there's anything else you'd like to add, go find the ultimate dead baby cookbook and cook yourself up some wonderful baby back ribs. I think you'll like the barbecue sauce. And yeah. <laughs> Sounds I, delicious. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And you can find us at unearthfilms.com, twitter.com slash unearthfilms, Instagram, unearthfilms, there's unearthfilms, unearthfilms, unearthfilms. Yeah, yeah. We're, <laughs> we're all over the place. All right. Awesome. Thank you, Stephen. Right, thanks for having me on. Thank you for listening to the first episode of the Uneasy Terrain Explorers Club podcast. If you like this content and would like to see some of the other projects I'm working on, please check out my YouTube channel, Cinema's Underbelly, as well as my company, Putrid Productions, 
where you can check out my shockumentary trilogy, Carving the Cadaver, as well as my photo book, Shrouded Domains, Animalia Mortem. Till next time, this is the Uneasy Terrain.